Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Monday afternoon, new week. Glad to have you along. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. A bunch to get to with you on this Monday afternoon. Before we get started, we'll tell you that Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. You can find them online at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. If you are in North Mississippi, whether it's uh, a dream house that you're thinking about building in the country, maybe it's a, a piece of recreational property, or you are a farmer who's got financing needs, Mississippi Land Bank can help. You can find a branch location near you in North Mississippi online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Hope you had a good weekend. It was hot, and it is hot, going into uh, another week of fall camp. Borky, how are you on this Monday? Doing well. Exhausted, because I am trying to get all of the yard work out of the way as possible before the baby comes, and football Mm -hmm. season, but more importantly, before the baby comes. Richard, I found a dozen, probably more, like stepping stones, like yard decorative stepping stones, because we have a wooden porch and then like a like a, a small, tiny little like brick courtyard, and then there were these two awful. Uh, I'm going to put them on the curb, uh, like little garden awnings, whatever. And underneath them was just dirt. Yeah. And as I was finishing up, I like you could see a little bit of stone like peering through the dirt, and I figured, you know, this may be some like stones. So I dug one up, and then I moved over another six inches or so, dug another one up. And they were buried six, eight inches under the ground. (laughs) And these are huge stones. I'm talking like 18, two feet, 18 inches to two feet long stones that they were buried under the ground just from years of neglect. So I now have some nice yard decoration. But... I'm thinking, I was going to say, are you throwing those away or are you going to repurpose them? Oh, I'm repurposing them. I cleaned them up. They look great. They're in great shape. But I am I am to the point now where I'm so frustrated with how it was left and why I bought the house the way it was left is beyond me, of getting a yard guy to come in and tell him everything that I had to do and ask him to give me an estimate and just send it to the previous homeowner with a smiley face on it. Like, you're welcome. Yeah, but you bought it as is, Borky. Yes, and so, I, I know. Uh, you, you yeah, bought I yourself know. a project. You bought yourself uh, something to do to keep uh, you from having idle hands. Hey, what else would you be doing? Just like sitting around in your underwear all weekend? That's no good. Yeah, no, you're right. That's no good. I did watch a good bit of football this weekend, and I had a moment with my wife where she said, Michael, can we put on something else? I said, but Katie, it's football. She goes, but you told me it doesn't count, so why are you watching this? Fair That's your enough. own fault right there. 
That's where you screwed up. Don't ever, don't ever admit that it's not real football. Yeah, Jane gets amused when um, she's like, "Wait, this is an old game, isn't it?" I said, "Well, yeah, but it was a good one." She's like, "But you already know the final score." I'm like, yeah, but still, just wedding. How many times have you watched Titanic? Appetite. That's what you ask. Yeah, she's not a big movie girl, so I'm not sure that that would uh, that would work so well with her. How was your weekend? Hey, Dad. Uh, it's pretty good. Pretty good. Didn't do much. I stayed out of the heat, as as, as I am wont to do. Uh, of course, we had uh, the big media day here in Starkville on uh, Saturday. Got a lot of uh, great video. If you missed it, it's at uh, Sports Talk Miss on the Twitter feed, or you can go to supertalk.fm and find it all there. But, uh, but other than that, man, I, I took it pretty easy. Very good. Uh, we will hear some of what Joe Moore had, uh, had to say on Saturday and also uh, some really interesting insight into the defense from uh, from Bob Shoup. So you'll get that coming up a little bit later this afternoon. Uh, Rippy, we uh, we took bets as to whether or not you would come back in one piece. It appears as if you have made it home from a uh, weekend of debauchery at the beach. Uh, yeah, we all made it back in one piece. Not nothing too eventful. Not that debaucherous. No, no, not that bad. I mean, is this a like a maturity milestone for you? I mean, no, we're just. We were mildly well behaved. Um, I don't know. This is from, like whatever that guy was that texted in that day, where he goes on trips and he says the general public like it reminds him how insufferable they are. I had a couple of those moments, but other than that, no. Any that you can share? Um, I spent like forty five minutes on Thursday on the way down thinking about. There's a dude in front of me as we stopped at a gas station getting one of those gas station hot dogs. I didn't know people actually ate those. Like what? What what does that entail? I thought those were for like decoration. You know the ones that look like they've been on there for like three or four weeks at a time. Where they're on the rollers? Yeah, guy had that thing loaded up. Hey, I just Borky, like, what's going Borky. on? We haven't done a Twitter poll in a while. Gas station hot dogs. Uh, gas station hot dogs on the roller. Have you eaten one? Oh, I just don't understand that. Like, don't what's they make I know some of those? I know someone filled with cheese. Vote yes. What's going on in that guy's fridge at home if that's what he's getting at a gas station is kind of what I was wondering. Anyway, I don't know. I thought about that for a while. Other than that, not, no, not really. Hey, Dad, who do you know that would has eaten one of those? Uh, my, my former podcast partner, Bob Carscadden, loves him a gas station hot dog. Oh, really? I'm not, I'm not making that up. Okay. That's good. And when I, that Twitter uh, poll goes I'm up, a I'm a big hot dog it. guy. I'm a big hot dog guy. I don't know that I've ever eaten one of those, though, off the roller. No, I wouldn't eat one off of No. C Spire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. That's how Tim in Tupelo has reached out to us as he ate one of those just last week. Prepaid by C Spire is going big for back to school with special deals, including a light new iPhone 6S for just $49, plus a daily $500 giveaway. Learn more at cspire.com slash prepaid C Spire customer inspired. So what's coming up this afternoon? Told you we're going to let you hear from uh, Joe Moorhead and Bob Shoup from Mississippi State's Media Day. They do it about halfway through fall camp. That was on Saturday. Both the Saints and the Cowboys played over the weekend and both lost in a preseason game. When your team loses a preseason game, you're quick to point out that preseason doesn't matter for anything. But there may be some uh, positive takeaways from those. Ole Miss had a practice today. Uh, Brian Scott Rippey was there. We'll talk a little bit uh, about what he learned today. 
Uh, Miami has named a starting quarterback, and it is not transfer portal star Tate Martell. Anybody surprised by that? A little, honestly, just because coming out, people did talk about him as if he was this talented kid and the future quarterback and all that stuff, but you don't want to pile on a college kid because, especially people in the media, because, you know, we're supposed to be above that. But he brought all of the criticism and all the jokes he's getting today on himself. He was the number two trend in the United States on Twitter today. You don't want to pile on to him, and yet you wrote Tathan as opposed to Tate. Well, that is that is his pro- that is his proper name. Oh, that's let's, right. Let's you were just being respectful. I was being respectful, but no, he brought it on himself. The amount of talking that he did, he taunted Justin Fields when he transferred to Ohio State, told him not to make the same mistake he made the first time by going to Georgia. He goes to Miami. Some direct messages come out about how uh, when he was committed to Texas A&M, he knew he was going to start as a freshman because Nick Starkle was garbage and. He can't shut up, and now he's getting the brunt of that today. We shouldn't talk too much about this because maybe somebody wants to bring it up in winners and losers. Okay. Winners and losers coming your way this afternoon. Got a couple of SEC teams in our uh, countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. Alabama is down a starter on the defensive side of the ball, or at least a presumptive starter on the defensive side of the ball, and that's on the heels of losing a running back for the year. We'll tell you who those guys are coming up a little bit later. Dan Mullen dealing with some discipline issues in Gainesville. There's a Florida player that has been kicked off of the team and a whole lot more. Hey, Dad, give me one takeaway from uh, media days on Saturday where you heard from players and coaches. They, They truly believe that whoever wins the quarterback job, the offense is going to be better than last year. Okay. That 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 if you anybody I've talked to on offense, they all say the same thing. They're like both of these guys are doing really well, and I think the the the, the battle itself, the, the competition, is maybe closer than I gave it credit for. I still think it's going to be Tommy Stevens, but it appears Keaton Thompson is is not going down without a fight. Rippy, you were at uh, at Ole Miss's practice today. They had a scrimmage on Saturday. Any takeaways from uh, from practice today worth noting? Uh, I mean, it was really hot, and there was a lot of more guys in green jerseys, so I think they got a little bit banged up, but nothing major as far as uh, as far as the injury front. I think they came out okay there. A um, couple guys with concussions, some minor knee injuries, things things like that, but nothing nothing really major. Um, I guess on the injury front. Well, it was about a hundred play scrimmage on Saturday that they uh, went through. About thirty plays for the first team offense. About thirty plays for offense and defense. About thirty plays for the second team group, and then the rest of those scattered about as well. Take a uh, a look at the injury list for Ole Miss. Uh, as Alex Gibbons still has not practiced. That's uh, probably the name that has been brought up more than any other. Uh, but Ole Miss people tell you that uh, they think he is on track to play in the season opener. When we come back, we will uh, see what Joe Moorhead had to say on Saturday about Mississippi State thus far in Camp Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Monday afternoon with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Story out there from cbssports.com that uh, dropped a couple of hours ago. Uh, that reportedly Dak Prescott has turned down an offer by the Cowboys that would include an average annual salary of around $30 million. 
dollars. So turned it down thirty million. This story from CBS Sports, written by uh, Patrick Walker, says. Uh, the problem for the Cowboys is obvious because a $30 million per year offer was more attractive earlier this offseason before two major events took place. Those major events in April, Seattle reset the quarterback market by giving Russell Wilson a historic four-year $140 million extension that includes $107 million in guaranteed money. Two months after that, in June, the Eagles raised the floor again by granting Carson Wentz a four-year $128 million extension with $107.87 million guaranteed. The story says that realistically puts the window for negotiation for Dak between 32 and $35 million because Prescott isn't likely to accept less money than Carson Wentz. So we'll uh, continue to keep an eye on that story as it uh, develops. It, it does say this. Um, well, We'll, we'll circle back. Uh, we'll circle back to it later. Uh, other than saying Prescott reportedly countered the Cowboys' offer with a proposal of his own that came equipped with a $34 million per year salary, and that was according to Clarence Hill with the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. A lot of money. It's, uh, it's good money if you can get it. Good money if you can get it. Hey, Dad, you were uh, in Starkville on Saturday. You gave me a quick takeaway a second ago. You said that uh, everybody you talked to believed that the offense, regardless of whether Tommy Stevens or Keaton Thompson is the starter, is going to be better than it was a year ago. What else did you learn? I learned that from the defensive side of the ball, and you're going to play the Bob Sheep stuff later. We're about to hear from Jim Moorhead, but they don't think I don't think they think there's going to be a lot of drop off. Now they're not going to be the number one defense in the country like they were a season ago, but the talent is still there. The uh, you know especially on the back end of the defense, the secondary is very strong. The linebacking core is very strong. Uh, they've got to find a couple of defensive tackles, but they, they like the guys they have there. And, and sort of what we talked about a few weeks ago that the young guys, especially uh, Love it, Crumity, maybe Nathan Pickering, they're going to play a big role uh, down the road. But all in all, it seems to be a pretty positive vibe in Starkville. You know, you're coming off a season where. The average fan would probably call it a little bit of a disappointment, but I think Moorhead looked at it more as, as, as a building block. You know, he, we, the comment we played last week about going from A to Z, but actually going from A to M in the passing game. I think he feels like he can get the full passing game going this year with both Thompson and Stevens, whoever ends up winning that job. Well, certainly the biggest question that's out there among Mississippi State fans is who is going to be the starting quarterback? Will it be Tommy Stevens or will it be Keaton Thompson? Joe Moorhead, uh, maybe a little shorter, a little more reserved than he sometimes is in his comments. Here's what he had to say about the quarterback battle. I think it's progressing nicely. I think the uh, the battle has uh, elevated uh, the urgency and the, the execution of the entire unit. Uh, you know, and you know we grade grade and uh, evaluate every snap uh, and chart chart everything that they're doing. So. I think it's uh, it's headed about the pace that uh, we anticipated. Hey, Dan, I think there's something that's important there because we, fans, et cetera, look at this almost as a zero-sum game where, okay, somebody's going to win the job, somebody's going to lose the job, that somebody's going to be the backup, presumably, and you just go forward from there. But I think from a coaching standpoint, what you really want when you have a competition like this, if it's a healthy competition, is you get elevated play out of both guys in the name of trying to win the starting job. Yeah, and then not only that, but like like he said in the uh, in that quote there, 
you, you, that play elevates everybody else. You know, the, if the throws are better, then the the receivers should be able to catch them. If the the you know if you're reading the uh, the defenses correctly, the offensive line protection should be good, and so on and so forth. One thing I found interesting about that quote was later in the day when we talked to Keaton and to Tommy Stevens, they both said, "Oh, you know, we really don't look at those numbers that much. We're just sort of focusing what we're doing in practice." But Moorhead made it very clear that you know they're charting everything, they're watching every throw, so. It's, it's interesting what the coaches are looking at versus what the players themselves are looking at, to me, anyway. Mississippi State had a scrimmage on Saturday. Joe Moorhead talked about whether or not the scrimmages meant more than just regular practices in the quarterback battle. The scrimmage performance plays a role, but not necessarily. Uh, it's not the uh, only measuring stick. You know, it's, it's, it's completion percentage, it's touchdown-interception ratio, it's explosive plays created. Uh, you know, it's how the team's rallying around you. So, the, so there's a bunch of different things, and you know, uh, certainly the scrimmage will play a big part in it. But it, it really, what you want is their body of work to paint a picture, and just you know, like we talked about, our ability to create, uh, improve our improve our pass game with a uh, respect to efficiency, explosiveness, while still uh, you know, protecting the football and uh, gaining the confidence of your teammates. You know, ultimately, like I said, they're both showing that they can run the ball capably. At the end of the day, it's going to come down to which two, which of those two throw the ball the best. So that was Joe Moorhead talking about the quarterback battle and uh, the scrimmages only being a part of the uh, puzzle in deciding who is going to be the uh, the number one quarterback. You know, different coaches have different philosophies on, on what they want to do with freshmen. There's some coaches that would like to redshirt everybody. Uh, felt like Dan Mullen did a lot of redshirting in his time at uh, at Mississippi State. Some coaches go out and sell playing time, whether it's out of necessity or recruiting pitch. And some coaches are getting guys that are so talented that you just can't afford to redshirt them right out of the gate. Uh, I guess most coaches probably would land somewhere in the middle, probably wanting to redshirt the majority of a freshman class. Joe Moore had talked a little bit about his group of freshmen this year and what he thought uh, of these first-year guys. Very excited about them. I think... Uh... You know, like anything, the um, you know, first few days of exposure to SEC West football is a little bit eye-opening, and, and not just the, the speed and physicality of the game, but the I say relative complexity to the, to the installations and how they stack on top of each other, and taking the information from the meeting room and applying that on the field. But I think from a pure physical standpoint, that uh, they're what we believed in the process. You know, uh, I think we got bigger. I think we got uh, stronger. I think we got more athletic and explosive. And now it's a matter of them getting adjusted to the speed of the game. Got a uh, little bigger, stronger, faster reference there. Anytime you can get that, that's a plus. You know, you definitely don't want to get you know slower, weaker, and uh, less explosive. Do you think that's what coaches say when they can't think of anything else to say? Like they're not sure exactly how to uh, wrap up their thoughts, and so they just drop in bigger, stronger, faster. Uh, in some cases, probably so. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just an easy cliche to go to. Yeah. Um. Wide receiver coach Michael Johnson, probably, pressure's not the right word, but everybody agrees that the wide receiver group needs to get better at Mississippi State, that they've got to be better at wide receiver if the offense is going to advance. Uh, Here's what Joe Moorhead said about his wide receivers coach. Uh, Two two words I I would think with Michael are are knowledge and positivity. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen the guy have a a bad day. Uh, And when you've got experience... uh, you know, as a player and as a coach at the collegiate level and in the NFL, you know, a guy coached Michael Vick, a guy coached, 
you know, all those great receivers with the with the, the Ravens and other places. I think it brings instant credibility to the room. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, the adage that they don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. I think Michael's done a real good job forming personal relationship with, relationships with the guys. And, you know, when that occurs, they're, uh, you know, willing to you know, go to bat for you. And I, I think uh, you've seen a, a more mature, mature group. Do you think Joe Moorhead is one of those guys that, like, frames pictures of the motivational quotes and puts them on the wall? He, he, he drops them in there quite quite often, and if you look at you follow him on Twitter, you see him a lot. That happened with another coach in this state. You know, hopefully he won't go down the same road as him. Uh, that said, I had a chance to talk to Michael Johnson as well, and there, there's, again, that video is available on uh, on Twitter at Sports Talk Miss and on supertalk.fm, and I, you get that from him. He, he's, he does come across as a very positive kind of guy. Um and it seems, you know, if you look on the recruiting trail, uh, he's listed as the pri- – we were talking about this on tomorrow's uh, Thunder and Lightning podcast. He's listed as the primary recruiter for both the state's 2021 commitments, two four-star receivers, which you know as well as I do. Four-star receivers coming to Starkville has not been a, a thing in the past. That's a new trend. So uh, it's whatever is working, it, it seems to be paying off. And like I said, in, you know, a couple times on this show, that when I've gone out and watched the receivers in practice and the limited amount I'm, get, I'm getting to see them, they, they look better. They're, they're catching the balls that are thrown to them for the most part. They, they, they look like they look more like an SEC receiving core this year than I thought they did a season ago. Borky, have we got time for this last clip? We do not. We do not. We'll give it to you when we, uh, when we come back. Obviously, defense was the anchor of that football team a year ago. You had multiple NFL players on the defensive side of the ball. Joe Moorhead talked some about the personnel losses from the defensive side. We'll give you that when we uh, come back. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, rolling along on this Monday in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi. Let's wrap up the Joe Moorhead comments from Saturday at Mississippi State's Media Day. We talked all offense with him just a uh, a few minutes ago. Um, Let's go to the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Joe Moorhead was asked about the personnel losses on the defensive side, a side of the ball that saw multiple players go to the NFL, and so clearly you have holes to fill. What does Joe Moorhead think about those personnel losses defensively? Yeah, I think uh, Coach Hoop and his staff have done a you know, you know nice job, kind of acknowledging the the fact that we lost a lot of talent and certainly a lot of production, uh, but at the same time. Uh, not lowering the expectation level or the standard with which we want to perform. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, across the board, you look at the t- different positions, I think, you know, it's kind of a little bit different. You know, a linebacker, you bring both the guys back, you know, two of the top guys, you know, in the country. And, uh, in other positions, that it's talent that requires experience. So, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, you know the, the base kind of foundation of our, of our scheme remains the same. The coach Hoop's done a good job with you know off-season studies and things we're going to tweak and install. So it's not about, in a certain respect, it's not about pl- plays. It's about players, and you, you still want to hold true to to to, uh, to your system, but at the same time, not ask kids to do things they're not capable of doing. So so within the scheme, there's enough flexibility that you know you lose all those linemen. You know that all right. This is what we're going to do up front or, or on the second level to try to you know kind of mitigate some of those departures. What does that all mean to you, Hey Dad? It, 
it means that the defense is going to look a little different, that they're not going to be able to rely. You know, last year a lot of the pressure that Mississippi State was able to generate just came from having Jeffrey Simmons and Montez Sweat up there. And you didn't have to blitz a whole lot, which, you know, obviously would make you a little bit stronger in coverage. Uh, this year with those guys gone, I think you have to look at MSU more as a blitzing defense. So as, uh, as good as MSU's defense was a season ago, it was very aggressive. I don't know that it was – ultra aggressive this year they might be more aggressive because they can't just rely on jeffrey simmons to eat up blockers in the middle of the field and montez sweat to win those one-on-ones out on the perimeter that's an interesting way of looking uh, at that and and you know you think about when you're exceptionally talented maybe that gives you the ability to be a little more basic and not that they're not talented now but if that talent level goes down a little bit individually then maybe you have to figure out some different ways to get comparable production. Right, right. I mean, and sort of the same thing goes for, you know, think about Alabama for most of the uh, the, the Nick Saban tenure. They were very conservative offensively because they had a great offensive line and great running backs, and they knew that they had receivers that when they wanted to throw the ball could make plays, but they never really got after it. And that's why last year was sort of scary up until the national championship game because now they had all this talent and now they're using utilizing it in a completely different way. And that's sort of, you know, that's something that you look at in football. Sometimes you don't have to go over the top if you don't have to because you have talent. Uh, Mississippi State had a ton of talent last year on defense, and I thought they were, like I said, I thought they were an aggressive defense, but they were not. You think about the season before with Todd Grantham, and they they were a lot more aggressive. I thought that season in 2017 than they were in 2018. This season, a return to that, especially since, like he said, you're good enough at linebacker and it's to to you know take advantage. Yeah, I'd love to see the numbers if you could compare the specific number of blitzes from two years ago with Todd Grantham to last season with Bob Shoup. I would be fascinated to see, you know, what the different was uh, difference was in the amount of blitzing that happened one year over uh, over another. Um, We'll hear from Bob Shoup a little bit later uh, this afternoon uh, when we get uh, into the 5 o'clock hour, let you hear a little bit about what the defensive coordinator for uh, for Mississippi State had to say. And it was a I, lot, I, by the way. I, I was cutting up that audio this morning, and I kept thinking, I like this guy. I'm talking like two-minute and 30-second long answers on one question, just thorough and well thought out. I really liked him. Yeah, okay. Bob Shoup is one of the best interviews I've ever had. I mean, he and the great thing about him is once the interview's done, then he just wants to, to you know shoot the breeze with you for a little while. He likes to talk. He, he loves to talk MLB, uh, you know, anything. He'll tell you sit there and just talk with you. In, in fact, if you, I guess I'd cut the broadcast off, but if you, you could go back after his last question, somebody said, "Well, well we're not going to talk about baseball." He talked for another like five six minutes. Bill Martin, the hmm. MSU said he was trying to pull him away from the podium because he just wanted to talk baseball with us. All right, guys, we uh, we get to move along here. Got to yeah, move exactly. along here. Exactly. I don't know if this advances the story or not, but it sure is interesting. Jane Slater, uh, who works with NFL Network and covers the Cowboys, if not exclusively, at least the majority of the time, tweets this uh, 15 minutes ago. I can confirm reports that quarterback Dak Prescott has, in fact, turned down $30 million a year offer and is instead seeking $40 million a year per a source that is informed. Hashtag 
Cowboys. I wish she'd use the hashtag, how about them Cowboys, as opposed to just Cowboys. Would it have had to have been all caps at that point? Yes. Okay. Yes. $40 million a year is what Dak wants. I mean, that may be some standard negotiating practices, but if Stephen Jones didn't hang up the phone immediately, then he needs to be relieved of his duties as general manager or whatever his position is in Dallas. Well, his dad owns the team, so I don't think that happens. <laughs> but my goodness, that's $5 million more than Russell Wilson's blockbuster contract a year. You know, I've been on here saying, yeah, I think Dak deserves to get paid, but $40 million is it? That's a lot of money. You know what I say? May, I say go get your $40 million. Oh, man, go get, get it. it. Get it. If you can get it, get it. But, man, that's a lot of money. Do I hear 50? 55, 55, 60? <laughs> uh, Borky, I don't think auctioneer is in your future. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, I'll continue giving you bad opinions on sports. But, uh, man, that that is uh, ambitious. I mean, that's the kind of money that I figured that uh, one quarterback in Kansas City would command when he came off of his rookie deal. Maybe. But but again, when you start looking at numbers that big, you talk about what it does for your ability to take care of the rest of the roster and whether or not you can build a uh, a contender when you pay that much money to a single player. I mean, if, if you can figure out a way to make it work, good for you. Go for it. And Dak Prescott, if you can figure out a way to get $40 million out of, a year out of the Cowboys, awesome. Well, then the FBI should investigate it for robbery. Come on now. I mean, it's, you know. It's a joke, man. What I, I would you learned, do if you were I've his agent? You can't joke about Dak Prescott. That's, that's not allowed. Oh, no. See, that's it's probably standard negotiating practices, but if I was his agent, I would have also not just turned up my nose at 30 either. Yeah. Well, I mean, and who knows? He didn't necessarily turn up his nose at 30 million, but the market is what the market is. You know, I hate that phrase, it is what it is, but I mean, the, the market is dictated by the contracts that are done immediately before. You get your contract. The question becomes, uh, okay, Cowboys have made an offer to make him a top-five paid quarterback in the NFL, at least temporarily, and then you wonder if, well, how long that will last. And the question becomes, is Dak Prescott worth top-five money? Looking at some of the... Twitter responses, I don't even think Cowboys fans believe he's worth that. No, it's definitely not a, a lot of positivity in, the, in Miss uh, Slater's mentions. Yeah, I mean, they're debating whether or not he's a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. Here was a random uh, tweet about it as well. At this rate, Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes might be the first to command a four-year $300 million contract. <laughs> what what could Breeze or Brady, if they were 10 years younger, but getting the same kind of production? What would they be getting? A lot. $50 million? Gosh. A lot of money. Good for, uh, good for him. Borky, uh, Saints played on Friday night. You say Teddy Bridgewater was good. 
The defense was not. What yeah. was your takeaway? Yeah, something like that. So, so Bridgewater, when you watch him, he's limited, right? I mean, he's not as good as Drew Brees. He's probably never going to win a Super Bowl in New Orleans. But if he plays like that, throw the football accurately, he's got some mobility, escapability in the pocket, held on to the football too long a couple of times, but he was very, he was good. If you can get that kind of production from him when Breeze retires, you can then build your roster and then either go draft a quarterback or go sign one, but he is absolutely good enough to be the heir apparent. You're not going to win a title with him, but you can use him as a way to bridge the gap while you continue to build your roster and then maybe go get a rookie quarterback or something like that. So he's good enough. He's got a ceiling, but it's a good one. And he looked comfortable and solid last or Friday night. On the Dak thing, I wonder if Zeke Elliott's the happiest of all this. Hey, man, this just took the spotlight off me. They can get me for relatively cheap now. Maybe $14, 15000000 million a year. That's cheap compared to $40 million. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along on this Monday. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippy. I was kind of being tongue-in-cheek when I said that as we were going to the break a second ago. But I wonder if Zeke Elliott goes, whew, man, get the spotlight off me for a little while. Doesn't make my – I know we're talking about – different positions, but does it uh, make my contract demands look quite so um, quite so out there if Dak wants $40 million. Yeah, I mean, it, at least Ezekiel Elliott is the best, or could, you can make an argument for him being the best running back in football when he's not getting arrested. When is that, though? <laughs> Haven't had an offseason yet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what about the Cowboys, Borky, in their uh, their preseason game? It, it continued to get positive reviews from Tony Pollard, who I guess with Ezekiel Elliott, uh, Ezekiel Elliott out, has kind of been elevated to the first team running back. He only had four carries, but has had a really good camp uh, leading up toward the uh, the start of the season. Yeah, and all four were in between the tackles, which was something that. Going into that game, they were wondering if he was actually capable of doing that. Um, and he's a guy from Memphis, by the way. So he was a backup in college even. And even though it was just four carries and only 16 yards, uh, there was a question whether or not he could do it and if uh, he would have the vision to be able to do it. I read something in The Athletic today uh, about the way the, the transition in offense from a place like Memphis that did – a lot of gap and how their running backs are having a hard time transitioning to NFL zone because their vision in college was fixated on go to this hole instead of find the hole yourself. And he doesn't appear to have that issue as his uh, counterpart. What, what is it? Henderson is his last name with the Rams uh, that he's adjusted to the NFL a little bit quicker than he has found that hmm. a little interesting. But if Zeke holds out into the season Tony Pollard will be really the X factor on whether or not he gets his contract. If he shows out, they're just going to let him keep holding out. But if he struggles, then they'll probably get a deal done to to bring him back. So he's the most interesting guy in the NFL right now. In that uh, that preseason game that the Cowboys had against the 49ers, 49ers won it. Nick Mullins, 
uh, for San Francisco, went 11 of 17 for 105 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. They played Wilton Spate, Nick Mullins, and C.J. Bethard in the uh, in the game. Uh, obviously, Jimmy Garoppolo is expected to be the starter. They just want to try and keep him healthy. <laughs> I, I might not run Garoppolo out there at all during the preseason. Yeah, and the Chiefs I mean, you, you, you got to give him a little bit, but still. You do, but the Chiefs like, played Mahomes for an entire quarter. <coughs> it's like, what is wrong with you people? He doesn't need the preseason. He certainly doesn't need a quarter. Yeah. Um, and the Antonio Brown saga just goes on and on. Mike Silver uh, covers the NFL, and he kind of laid it out in a, in a multi-part thread on Twitter uh, how so much of the foot injury has been what has grabbed the headlines for the Raiders in the offseason with regard to Antonio Brown over the last couple of weeks. But the whole helmet deal is something that had actually alarmed Raiders coaches and teammates well before. And we'll see where this is going. What, we're supposed to get a decision this week from the NFL. He had a call with a, was it an arbitrator or some rules maker or something from the NFL last week, and they're supposed to hand down a decision this week. If the NFL stands put, is Antonio Brown really going to say, okay, I'm done, I'm out of football because you're going to make me wear a helmet that I don't want to wear? Funny you mentioned that. This literally yeah. just broke. Like, I mean, just as I pull this up, uh, the arbitrator said no. He cannot use the old helmet. And okay. he released a statement saying he can't he can't wait to join his team, but it doesn't sound like he's the one that wrote it. Really? But either way, the arbitrator did say no, and he put a tweet out saying that he's looking forward to joining his team when he's healthy. Oh, okay. Well, good. Good for him. What a ridiculous saga, though, right? I mean, just a nightmare. Hey, saw this story pop up today as well. This is not something that probably resonates with a, a ton of people that listen to our audience, but uh, I think it's kind of a feel-good story. Andy Burcham has been named the new radio play-by-play voice of the Auburn Tigers. Andy has uh, he's worked with the Auburn Network for 31 years. He has been um, the women's basketball play-by-play guy he uh he worked with rod bramblett for 25 years on baseball and has been promoted uh to the football play-by-play announcer the men's basketball play-by-play announcer and uh will continue to work with baseball as well andy is one of the nicest people you will ever meet he's talented uh auburn is a place that means a ton to him he's been there for a really long time it's a job that he certainly wanted. The circumstances are difficult, obviously, with the passing of Rod and Paula Bramlett, but uh, really excited for Andy Burcham, and uh, congratulations to him. With you on this Monday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank, online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs and you're in North Mississippi, then the call or the visit that I would recommend you make is to uh, Mississippi Land Bank. You're dealing with fantastic people that are a part of your community, 
and that know the land financing business, whether it pertains to agriculture, if you're a farmer, need to buy a new piece of property, get an equipment loan, refinance an existing loan, or get your production loans in place, Mississippi Land Bank can help. Not a farmer, but uh, you're thinking about building a house in the country, you're buying a recreational piece of property, that's right in the wheelhouse of Mississippi Land Bank. They've been financing land for over 100 years. You can find a branch location or grab the phone number and give them a call Again, at that website, MSLandBank.com. It's Monday. It's just after 4 o'clock. It is time for Winners and Losers. We got winners. We got losers. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. What did you see over the weekend that you liked? What did you see over the weekend that you did not like? That's what makes up our list of winners and losers. We'd love to hear from you as well. We'll get to your list when we come back in just a little bit. You can text us on the C Spire text line. The number is 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. C Spire can take care of all your phone repairs. They love making happier experiences for you. That's why they've got one-hour phone repair, fixing any phone from any carrier with certified parts and technicians. Visit cspire.com slash repair to find a repair center near you. C Spire customer inspired um patrick reed right he's got to be at the top of the winners list getting a uh, win on the pga tour in round one of the playoffs at the uh, northern trust i know you guys all love patrick reed well the beautiful thing is he won the tournament and nobody talked about it because of what else happened at the tournament that is true my guess is we will get to that in losers coming up in uh, in just a second hey dad you want to start us off with the winner yeah, we're going to go with San Francisco Giants reliever Will Smith, who uh, last night uh, against the Phillies blew a 6-5 lead, and you're thinking, okay, well, why is he the winner? Uh, in the bottom of the eighth, he was called to it bat to bat for the first time in his career, 13 years uh, in, in pro baseball, and he delivered a two-RBI single that gave him the win, and the Giants will win 9-6 to over the Phillies. They took the series uh, three games to one. And uh, trying to get back on track there in the wild card race. Hey, Dad, that takes you back to the days of Little League Baseball where the pitcher's, you know, maybe the best athlete on the team, and yeah. he walks to the bat, and, and the dad on the second row of the bleachers goes, Come on, help yourself out, kid. Help yourself out. <laughs> well, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Will Smith, at no point in his baseball career, was the best hitter on any team. You don't think so when he was 11 years old? Uh, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. You got a big hit there. Uh, Rippy, you got a winner? Yeah, not to go too golf-heavy, but Tupelo native Hayden Buckley won on the Canadian Tour over the weekend. That's cool. Yep. Friend of mine, good dude, played college golf at Missouri, um, obviously high school at Tupelo. That's a pretty big deal. What happens when you win on the Canadian Tour? You make money. Well, thank you. I don't know exactly how that qualifying <laughs> system works. Thanks a um, lot there, jerk. Yep. He was so I don't, quick I, with it, too. That was I, beautiful. I I don't know how. I, I genuinely don't. I was actually trying to look a little bit that up as we speak. I don't know how that qualifying system works, but there is some sort of qualifying system to get towards the both, I guess it's Corn Ferry Tour now and PGA Tour. Um, but I imagine winning would help not hurt that cause. Well, I mean, I guess that was my guess. Does, does winning on the Canadian Tour get you a spot with the Corn Ferry Tour, which used to be the 
Web.com, which was the nationwide, which was the, I don't know, whatever. Uh, okay, so good for him. I uh, I like it. Uh, Borky? Simone Biles, uh, one of the yeah. most uh, dominant Olympians in the history of our great country, uh, landed a triple-double this weekend. Now, that is, and this is on the floor routine, so she didn't use one of those springboards and launch herself off of something. This is just running and jumping on her own. A triple twist double flip in the air at one time. The height this girl got is unbelievable because she's a I tiny I was going to ask thing. if you saw the height. It's, it's unreal. And it's the first time a woman gymnast has ever landed this kind of jump. She did it this weekend, continues her dominance uh, being a veteran at 22 years old. Uh, but a triple twist double flip in the air she landed this weekend. I don't know if Hey Dad could do that like rolling. Probably not. <laughs> uh, I'd like to see it, though. Uh, uh, hey, Dad, we, we got on the C Spire text line. Um, if Richard will allow it, hey, Dad, will you tell why WWE was a winner this weekend? I didn't watch it uh, this weekend. Uh, for, oh, I, I just, I well, maybe it wasn't a winner. Well, but that said, everything I've heard was that the uh, SummerSlam pay-per-view and NXT uh, were both very, very good. I'll, I'll go oh. back and watch NXT. I don't know about SummerSlam. Well, that's great. I can't wait to uh, go back and watch that myself. It's on my <laughs> to-do list before I fall I'll asleep this evening. I look forward to reading uh, your blog about it. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you uh, sure you do. Um, what about on the losers' front? I'll go uh, go reverse order here. Uh, Borky, a loser. Yeah, the fake scientist Bryson DeChambeau. So a video goes viral of him taking over two minutes to hit a shot at the tournament this weekend. Um, Video goes viral on social media, as it does, and everybody affiliated with golf is talking about how embarrassing it is because slow play has plagued the sport, and that's a prime example of the fake scientist doing what the fake scientist does. He has a press conference where he just lays into everybody else that he really doesn't play slow, and you guys are attacking me. And then, I guess this was was this Saturday or Sunday, guys, where um, he walked up to Brooks Kepka's caddy before Kepka got to the practice screen and told him to tell his boss, talking about Brooks, that he can say any comments he has about my slow play to my face. A few minutes later... Brooks Kepko arrives to the practice screen. Caddy tells him what's up. Brooks immediately, immediately gets a message from his caddy. <laughs> and goes straight to Bryson DeChambeau and tells him how he feels. So Brooks Kepko's a winner because he doesn't take crap from anybody. But rough weekend for uh, old Bryson. I like how he was saying he doesn't play slow and then admitted to it happening like 5% of the time, which should be penalized 100% of the time. Yeah, I I saw a line and I'm gonna I don't know who to attribute it to because I read it on the internet. Um, I don't remember where it came from, but it was like real scientists launch rockets into the sky. This guy stands over eight footers. Anybody can do that. Um, at what point in his scientific brain did he think it was a good idea to send a message to Brooks Kepka? And kind of call him out and then think for, uh, let's see, let me use a a scientific term, a nanosecond, that Brooks Kepka wasn't going to come say, uh, yeah, uh, I'm sorry, is there an issue? How can you hit him with a say it to my face when you don't say it to his face? 
Rippy is right. That's very Bryson DeChambeau, but uh, uh, never mind that part. The hat is sick, though. If there's anybody, anybody on the entire PGA Tour who, if necessary, would we would be willing to just throw down and full-on bar-style fight right on the practice green before the final round of a tournament. It's Brooks Kepka. That list might be one. Like yeah. that's the only uh, well, guy that you think would. No, do Pat, that. Pere- Pat Perez would. Uh, John Daly, Boo maybe, Hedley. but he's not Patrick on tour Reed. anymore. Patrick Reed would definitely fight. You think so? Yes, I think Patrick Reed sees red like bulls do. Dustin Johnson, probably. He's too mellow to fight. Yeah, he'd probably be like, "Oh man, come on, don't worry about." It. Anyway, uh. Rippy, you got a loser? Uh, no, not anymore. Hey, Dad, you got a loser? Uh, yeah, and I'm not trying to pile on like like Borky is, but Tate Martell. This is a guy who, I mean, he just sets himself up for failure. He talks smack to Justin Fields. Fields shows up. He bails. He goes down to Miami. Everybody thinks he's going to be the starting quarterback. No, he's not. Jaron Williams is the new starting quarterback from Miami. We'll see him on week zero against Florida. And... I mean, he's getting, he's like, he's like Borky said, he's the number two trending topic on Twitter. Everybody's making the same joke. I made it. He's probably already back in the transfer portal. I will be amazed if he is not, if he is at Miami uh, next year. Hello, man. Backup quarterback, you're one play away from being the starter. Is he the backup quarterback? That competition is still ongoing, according to Manny Diaz. And Manny Diaz said the, uh, the competition for the backup spot will continue. So what is it? Is Rogier still there, or is he gone? Yeah, he's gone. It's him and it's Martell and a guy named Nicozy Perry. Oh. Well, I mean, third-string quarterback's only two plays from being the starter. <laughs> Sports Talk Mississippi. Your winners and losers when we come back in the Renaissance Bank studio. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. We gave you our winners and losers. Now how about some of your winners and losers? A couple of people sent this in, uh, including Lucas in Union. Will Clark had his number retired by the San Francisco Giants. Or is that is going to have his number retired? Is going to have his number retired. Okay. The Giants are retiring Will Clark's number. Correct. Which will be uh, the first, I believe it's the first Giant to have his number retired who is not in the Hall of Fame. Okay. Very good. Is is there a little bit of rumbling about Will Clark as the manager of the Giants? There when is a Bochy little bit retires? of rum- Yes, there is. There is. That is out there. And uh, I think he, I think Will Clark would actually, I have to go back and find it. I saw a quote from one of the, the Giants guys that I followed that he would he would. Yeah, listen basically said he would be interested, right? He'd be interested, yeah. Uh, Dan in Charleston, my winner is the Clarion Ledger for a really good article about Southern Miss football. Uh, Mike in Oxford says his winner uh, is himself. Just got back from Appleton, Wisconsin, where he watched the series this weekend where Gray Kessinger played against Thomas Dillard. They were playing against each other for the first time since they were 10 years old. And uh, he sent us a picture with uh, Dillard playing first base and Greg Kessinger uh, running at first. So uh, 
It's That's pretty kind cool. Of cool. Yeah. That is neat. Um, Lucas also said Blair Stockett is a winner for jumping in on the 33rd hole of the U.S. Women's Amateur to caddy for Gabriella Ruffles and helping her win the entire thing. I'm glad that was mentioned because here's a winner for you. George Bryan, Greg Flanagan, Wilkes Bryan, and the entire crew at Old Waverly and Mossy Oak Golf Club they dealt with unbelievable heat this weekend. They dealt with a torrential rainstorm Sunday a week ago, right before the tournament was supposed to begin. And the reviews from the U.S. Women's Amateur, outside the heat, which there's absolutely nothing you can do about, could not have been any more glowing. Uh, from the hospitality to the condition of the golf course to the layout of the golf course to the volunteer setup. They had over 300 volunteers uh, in West Point for the U.S. Women's Amateur. Uh, this is a marquee event. We were there six weeks ago, kind of talking about it leading up to the uh, start of the event. Uh, they were excited about it. They were excited about the direction the golf course was headed, and they did a spectacular job pulling off a national championship event for the USGA. And George Bryan, when we talked to him back in... Uh, early July, when we were there, said that they wanted to be in the rotation to host a USGA event about once every five years. Uh, they did everything right, and you can expect, without question, uh, that more USGA championship events will be coming to uh, coming to Old Waverly. So, congratulations to all of them. Uh, thanks for representing the state of Mississippi uh, in the golf world and uh, just putting, as a state, our best foot forward uh, for not just people from across the United States, but all across the world uh, that came to uh, to West Point for the U.S. Women's Amateur. Great stuff. Um, loser, Greg and Nettleton, me and my yard, and these darn spotted showers, spotty showers maybe, he says he gives up. I don't know if that's... His ability, uh, inability to cut the grass when it needs it, or or what? But uh, anyway, Jason says his winner is Mississippi State, and the way that they revealed their 2020 football schedule, it really was a cool uh, Twitter video reveal that they used. They went back and pulled a bunch of old television footage and cobbled it together to kind of represent each of the teams that they were playing in uh, in 2020. You like that, hey Dad? The silence is deafening. We'll get him back in just a second. A couple of other losers, Tim and Tuplo, the Saints preseason game. Yeah, give up big plays. That was the concerning thing. I mean, the first-team defense even. Uh, Eli Apple literally, I mean, had great defense, great positioning on a deep ball and just lost the ball in the lights or something because – Richard, the ball went between his arms, even though he wasn't looking. Like it just it went between his arms, and it was caught for a touchdown by Adam Thielen. Like, literally between his arms. So uh, they gave up a, a long run as well, uh, even though that was the twos and the threes. But still, it didn't look good defensively. I thought Bridgewater was fine, and this idea that Taysom Hill's the next quarterback for the Saints, I think, is ridiculous, and nobody should buy that because he's not a starting quarterback in the NFL. He's just not. Bradley and Marietta says his big loser is Dak for turning down thirty million. Well, I mean, not if he gets maybe 35. Tempor- 
maybe temporarily, but if he ends up getting 32, does that make him a winner or a loser? If he gets 37 when he wanted 40, that seems uh, to make him not necessarily um, a loser, but fair enough. And then I love this one from George. He sent this to us earlier today. He said, hey, here's something for winners and losers. True story. 70-year-old man committed a crime to go to jail in order to get away from his wife. He was sentenced instead to home confinement with an ankle bracelet. (laughs) I asked George, does that make him a winner or a loser? (laughs) He said it could even fall in dumb crook news. He said, I would say that he's a loser either way. That story was shared with him by his pastor, so he it has to be true. I suppose. That, that, uh, can we just get a divorce? What, what, why, why do you have to go to jail? Is it that bad? Hmm. Uh, let's see here. Winner. On Labor Day weekend, my youngest will turn two. Loser. Me. My wife scheduled his party when Ole Miss kicks off. All right. Uh, Dawson for uh, from Iuka says, Richard, you are a loser for picking on Hey Dad. What did you pick, I pick on me? Have I picked on you today? Uh, not that I would say. Uh, yeah, I don't remember anything. Um, you guys are winners for being entertaining. Okay. Thanks. Appreciate that. So those are your winners and your losers. Is there anything we've missed on the winners and losers front? Well, the NBA released their schedules today. I'm sure you guys are all thrilled about that. I saw somebody talking about the Grizzlies schedule. Starting off the season. What what is it we've got to start the year? Lakers-Clippers. And then a followed by Zion in Toronto. That's your opening night. On TNT, I assume? 30 30 national TV games for the Pelicans? Yeah. Power of Zion. Wow. Pretty big deal. 30? 30 of them, yeah. I mean, it's... It's amazing what a polarizing kid can do to a franchise, right? I mean, nobody, 99% of people can't name another player on that team, but they know him, and so therefore they throw him on uh, national platforms 30 times this year. I mean, that that's the territory that the Warriors get. Yep. They basically replaced the Thunder. The Thunder had 27 last year, and are now down to three. Ooh. <laughs> wow. You hate to see Which it. is probably about the number the uh, Grizzlies have also, right? They usually get the Martin Luther King game and then a couple of TNT games mixed in somewhere along the way. I would imagine so. Yeah, and they're playing New Orleans on that MLK Day game, too. Oh, really? That'll be cool. Neat little nugget thrown in there. Yeah. Uh, one Major League Baseball final so far this afternoon. The Yankees played game one of a doubleheader against the Baltimore Orioles, and they won... Yankees are now 78 and 41 overall. Uh, the the races are just not very close, or really anywhere. Yankees lead the AL East by nine games. Uh, Cleveland and Minnesota. Now that one's a close one. They are in a dead heat for the American League Central crown. The White Sox are 18 games back, and the Astros lead the A's by 10 games. In the National League. Braves up five games in the loss column, but overall have a a six-and-a-half game lead over the Nationals. And the Mets are now fading once again. 
Uh, well, not really. They've won 8 of 10, but lost yesterday. They are 8 back, very much in the wild card conversation. Cubs have a two-game lead over the Cardinals in the NL Central, and the Dodgers lead by 19 games out west in the National League. They're probably going to win that division if I had to guess, you know. It seems likely. American League wild card standings, Indians and Twins, uh, one of those teams is going to win the division. So it's the Twins and then the Rays and the Athletics are a game and a half back and then Boston seven and a half back in the National League. Right now the two wild card teams would be the Nats and the Cardinals. Brew Crew just half a game back, two back in the loss column behind St. Louis. Mets a game back, Phillies a couple back, Diamondbacks three back, Giants three and a half back. Then you got the Reds, four games below 500, but just five games out of a wild card spot. That's the, the, the only real race outside of the, the AL Central is the race for the second wild card spot in the National League. I really, see, for both wild card spots in the NL. Yeah, and the Central's pretty close. NL Central. Yeah. It's going to be a, uh, it's fun kind of down the stretch, sitting on what, about 40 games to play for everybody? Back with you in the Renaissance Bank studio after this. I'm sorry, Borky, what did you just tell me? That starting on Thursday of this week, there is a limited amount of lifetime pasta passes that you can buy at a local Olive Garden for $400. And it gives you unlimited pasta, soup, salad, breadsticks for life for $400. Hmm. I'll probably outlive Olive Garden. So you think it would be? I mean, is this going to be followed up? I was going to say, is this going to be followed up by um, Olive Garden files for bankruptcy and is closing all locations? Well, there's a certain amount, so not everybody with 400 bucks will be able to get it. But oh, there are only 50 of these available. Oh, it, see, there we go. It's all a sham, man. A, a Buffalo Wild Wings opened up when I was in high school, like just up the street from our school, and the first hundred people got free wings for a year. So we're 18. We've got nothing better to do. We camped out in front of that Buffalo Wild Wings for two full nights. Two days, camped out in front of that place. We were like the fourth or fifth group in line, so we were easily in the first 100 people. The free wings for a year was six a week for 52 weeks. Hmm. I never felt more cheated in my life. Uh, The Lifetime Pasta pasta Passes will entitle 50 lucky recipients to unlimited pasta, soup, salad, and breadsticks for their entire lifetime. The passes, however, will only be available for those fast enough to purchase the original never-ending pasta passes. Here's how it works. Uh, you can go to the website at 2 Eastern Sharp on August 15th, and for $100 a piece plus tax and only for 30 minutes until or until sold out, you can get the never-ending pasta pass. The first 50 will be offered the opportunity to opt in for the lifetime pasta pass for an additional $400 plus tax. So is the first one like for a one-year-only thing? Nine weeks. 
the recipients of the 23,950 regular pasta passes will need to begrudgingly enjoy the nine weeks of unlimited pasta that they will subsequently be entitled to. Eat there every single day. Anyone who wants to get a lifetime pasta pass or just a regular pass needs to act quickly, though. In 2018, Olive Garden's limited annual pasta passes, which allows the bearer to a year's worth of unlimited food, sold out in less than one second. (laughs) All 22,000 of the passes the company offered in 2017 sold out in one second as well. You a pasta guy, hey, Dad? Love pasta. Can't eat a lot of it right now, but it's yeah. it's my, one of my favorite things. What do you mean right now? I thought it was like a full-on lifestyle change. Well, I mean, once I get down to a reasonable weight, I can you know start eating some different things. I would think. Well, if you get to the weight that you get to your target weight, and then you return to just eating whatever the heck you want, then doesn't that kind of negate the whole deal? I didn't say I was going to start going back to doing the old ways, but I can have some pasta every now and then. My God, define every now and then. Now you're picking on me. Where, where's the guy from Iuka? He was right. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, we got to hustle because we got two of these to get. Oh, we don't have to hustle that much. Uh, we're counting them down 100 teams in 100 days. This day is bananas. B A N A N A S. This day is bananas. 100 teams in 100 days. Okay, ready? Three, two, one. We have made it down to number 19, but we got to play catch-up from the weekend. So team number 20, the Missouri Tigers. I think Missouri is a football team that is muy interesante. Kelly Bryant expected to be the starting quarterback. I guess he's been named the starter. Replacing uh, Drew Locke, who last year threw for almost 3,500 yards, 28 touchdowns, and eight interceptions. Missouri's going to be good this year. Uh, They return their leading tackler from a season ago, Cale Garrett, who had 112 tackles. They lose the guy that led them in sacks. That was uh, Therese Hall. He had five sacks from a year ago. But a bunch of guys back on the defensive side of the ball. Six returning defensive starters. Seven returning starters on the offensive side of the ball, including Larry Roundtree, who had 1,216 yards rushing and 11 touchdowns. And, guys, we've talked about Missouri. And and the thing, one, I think they're just going to be a good football team, period. And, two... The schedule is good for Missouri. They open at Wyoming. I guess that could be a little tricky. It's their first ever trip to Laramie. Then they host a West Virginia team that is in full rebuild mode. New coach, new quarterback, replacing their best receivers, and they weren't great defensively a year ago. Southeast Missouri or southeastern Missouri in week three, then a huge game against South Carolina. So, so listen to the schedule for Missouri. And South Carolina Sa- has Alabama before that game as well. Okay. So South Carolina, their first SEC game is at home. Then they have an open date. Then they have Troy. 
Then they have Ole Miss, their second SEC game, also at home. Then they go on the road to Vanderbilt. Then they go on the road to Kentucky. And then they have an open date before going on the road to Georgia. That's on November 9th. Back-to-back home games against Florida and Tennessee on November 16th and November 23rd. Tennessee will be coming off a bye game, or bye week. And then they finish up in Little Rock against Arkansas. That's a really manageable schedule for Missouri. Give me a worst-case scenario for Missouri. Is 8-4 and four worst case this year for them? I never like to say that. Like a, that, that seems like a really good season for Missouri. So I like, agree. That that's how, why so I how, ask: how, is eight and four worst be, case? How can that be their worst case? It seems like you know a couple of injuries go against them, and they could be a five and seven team. Just because you don't know how much depth they have, and and you know that could they they could lose to South Carolina, and they could lose to Tennessee. They'll certainly lose to Georgia and Florida. Um, they could you know find a way to lose another game. So I wouldn't say that's their their worst. I case wouldn't say them. they would certainly lose to Florida. I think they'll lose. Oh, oh, you're I mean, saying I, in the case of injury. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so let's play out the, the worst case thing. Let's say some combination of South Carolina and Ole Miss, they lose one of those two. Right. I don't see them losing at Vanderbilt or at Kentucky. Let's say they lose at Georgia. That's two. Mm-hmm. Are they going to lose to Tennessee and Florida, or Florida and Tennessee in consecutive weeks when both of those are home games? I guess maybe if you're doing worst-case scenario, yeah, that's four. I don't think they're going to lose to Arkansas. I don't think they're going to lose to either Vanderbilt or Kentucky. I, 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 I'm just uncomfortable saying a team like Missouri, their worst-case scenario is they're playing in a New Year's Day bowl game. That doesn't seem, you know, like for Mississippi State. If I said, "What's their worst case scenario?" Well, their worst case scenario is they go from like five and seven. Feels yeah. like that would be the same for for Missouri, even though the schedule, like you, you said, is very very manageable. I would say worst case scenario for Missouri is they go eleven and one, but they're not eligible for the postseason. Well, I guess you're right about that. Yeah. How awful would that be? Mm. Famous alums from Missouri. Who you got? Oh, okay. We're gonna go Cheryl Crow. Uh, okay. John Ham okay. and Sam Walton. Top three on the on the board are fantastic. That's uh, that's pretty strong for also, uh, for those three. Every insufferable sports journalist on the planet. Yeah, I don't also, know if you knew this, Richard. They have a journalism school with a capital J. Oh, big yeah. J, big time J. Is Drew Locke the all-time leading passer at Missouri? Well, he's the all-time leading passer in SEC history, isn't he? Or he's like in the top three. So yeah, I'm no. Chase Daniel is he not? Chase oh, Daniel, uh, Big Twelve. Okay, okay. Twelve thousand five hundred fifteen yards passing for Chase Daniel. Did we already talk about notable Tennessee Williams as a notable alumni somewhere else? We did. Well, he's on here too. He got around. Max I think we. T- well, yeah, we, we've eliminated athletes, though, along the way. Okay, Carl Edwards. 
Carl Edwards. The race car driver? Yep. Oh, I see what you did there. Trying to inflame the masses, are you? Brad Pitt? Went to Mizzou? That's what it says. Sorry, Cheryl Crow, you just got bumped. Sam Walton gets to keep his spot. Who's your second? John Hamm. Who? Bigger star, John Hamm or Cheryl Crow? Cheryl Crow. Okay. I'm trying to find... Okay. We can think on that. We've got another team for you on the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days when we come back to wrap up the 4 o'clock hour. So Missouri was team number 20 on the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. Countdown continues. Team number 19, South Carolina. Borky. Borky. Spoken like a true Clemson fan growing up. Kakalaka. Fourth year for Will Muschamp. Seven and six last year. They um, played Virginia in the Belk Bowl. It did not go well. South Carolina got beat 28 to nothing in the uh, Belk Bowl last year by Virginia. year before that, they beat Michigan in the Outback Bowl. So, a bunch of pieces that are important returning, but they lost some pretty key pieces as well. Seven offensive starters, seven defensive starters back. Jake Bentley is back. He threw for almost 3,200 yards, 27 touchdowns, 14 picks. First of all, the interception number's got to come down this year for Jake Bentley. Um, Rico Dowdle, the leading returning rusher, only had four touchdowns on the ground a year ago. Mon Denson was the second leading rusher. Those two guys combined to go for over 1,000 yards, actually about 1,100 yards, but they didn't have anywhere close to a 1,000-yard individual rusher last year. And they have to replace Debo Samuel. Now, with that said, Brian Edwards and Shai Smith and Keel Pollard are all back, so their number two, three, and four receivers come back. And their top two tacklers from a season ago are back. T.J. Brunson, who had 106 tackles, four sacks last year, and then Sherrod Green, who had 73 tackles last year. South Carolina, 7-6, and six, including a 48-44 win over Ole Miss in Oxford a year ago. And that's probably – is that the game that you think Matt Luke and Ole Miss and staff would go back and say, you just got to win that game? Is that the one? Wasn't Ole Miss up like two touchdowns in the fourth quarter or something like that in that game? So, yeah, I would I would definitely say that. First play of the game, Debo Samuel took it 100 yards to the house, the opening kickoff for a touchdown. Um, what do you guys make of South Carolina? It's hard to tell because if you remember, Richard, years ago when they hired him, I said this was going to go down as one of the worst hires in SEC football history, South Carolina hiring Will Muschamp. It hasn't gone that way. He's been okay there, but just okay. Uh, recruiting's elevated some, and uh, you know they're not tanking on the field. And life after Spurrier was always going to be difficult, but there's still this gigantic bear in the room, and it's Clemson. 
South Carolina's recruiting, they're they're doing well, but Clemson's doing better. They're winning games. They're going to bowl games okay, but Clemson's winning national titles. It's I, I'm of the opinion South Carolina's kind of like Alabama in a way. Yeah, and you can throw Mississippi in that category as well. You cannot have two teams that are competing for titles in that state. Not big enough. There's not enough talent to go around. There's not enough high-end talent in the state anyway to begin with. So I don't, I don't think that you can have two elite programs at once. So while Clemson's at the level that they're at, I don't think South Carolina can get to that point. But you're in the SEC, and, and you don't want to be happy with what happened last year. It's an interesting juxtaposition between the two. Because I don't think both of two Clemsons can exist in a state like that. But they're winning games, and they're going to bowl games, and they're recruiting, and they're putting guys in the NFL. They just have somebody a couple hours up the road that's doing it better than them. South Carolina's lost five in a row to Clemson. Prior to that, they had won five in a row. 2013, last time South Carolina won against Clemson when Steve Spurrier was still the head ball coach. South Carolina opens with North Carolina. They're playing that game in Charlotte, and they've got Charleston Southern before Alabama rolls into town. Road trip to Missouri. We talked about that just moments ago. And then Kentucky. South Carolina, what? They get they got to be three and two at the end of those first five games. Probably going to be three and three after Georgia. They've got to split with Florida and Tennessee. One way or another, those two games. Florida's a home game, Tennessee's a road game. You do that, you're four and four. Then a chance to get it rolling again, maybe. Vanderbilt would be five. Appalachian State would be six because their final two games are at Texas A&M and then Clemson to close off out the regular season with Clemson coming off of a bye. Borky's told you it's the hardest schedule in college football this year. They get North Carolina to open the season, Clemson to close the season, and they draw Texas A&M on the road and Alabama out of the SEC West plus they've got to go to Knoxville and they've got to go to Athens and they've got to go to Columbia, Missouri look man if they go 6-6 six and six and get to a bowl game this year I'm not so sure that Will Muschamp didn't do a pretty good job coaching that is a hard schedule anything better than 6-6 six and six, Will Muschamp did a really good job coaching South Carolina team number 19 on the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. When we come back, the college football fix with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. So, chance now for you to hear some of what Bob Shoup had to say. And these are some pretty in-depth answers. So uh, this actually may spill over uh, into the next segment as well. But Bob Shoup met with the media on Saturday in Starkville on Mississippi State's Media Day. And one of the things he talked about was the rotation at the defensive tackle position. You know, the, the guys that are gone, you know, certainly we wish them well. You know, and, uh, you know, Braxton had a couple tackles last night for the Titans. Certainly Jeffrey's there and, and all the other guys. We can go through those guys. I mean, we're looking forward to working with this group here. And, and I really like the way they've worked. Uh, first of all, their, their coach, Deke Adams, has done an outstanding job. He's been a great addition you know, to the staff, obviously a Mississippi native from Meridian. Uh, he's come in and, and had experience in the SEC and uh, really, I think, fits the identity of this program, a blue-collar mentality and no-job-is-too-small mindset and everything that he does. And the guys, I mean, we have a good group up front. I mean, you know, it's uh, like I said, the names may have changed, but, you know, Lee Autry's played a lot of football for us. 
And, um, you know, certainly, you know, we're excited. We got uh, James Jackson back on the defensive side who had trained with us my first spring here and part of the first season and then uh, made the transition to, 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 to the offensive side. And one of the things we were trying to acquire was a little bit more experience. And now with this transfer portal thing, you know, we were trying to exhaust all options there. And when that didn't happen, James became our graduate transfer. And, uh, you know, he's done a good job through the first seven practices. And then you got all the young bucks. You know, you got Fabian Lovett, who's at a really good camp and pretty highly recruited player and has a chance to be pretty good. Uh, you got Jaden Crumedy, who's at a good camp. Uh, again, you've done a good job and has a chance to be pretty good. And then you got, you know, Cam Young, Devon Robinson. And, and then we did get a transfer, Alan Love. Uh, we're still in the process of, of uh, you know, understanding what his eligibility will be this year, but he's a great addition to the room. As far as, uh, you know, what you said, it's kind of, I don't think I've ever been in a situation where you graduate so many players like that. I think when you try to, you try to, you know, Coach Moorhead and Mike Villagrana and our recruiting people do such a good job with our personnel, I don't think you can ever, you know, you have a certain number of players with X amount of scholarships, you allot them to different positions. And I think you have to be disciplined, uh, you know, within the framework of that that you don't over-recruited class at a particular position. You certainly don't want to pass out, down, you don't pass up on a on a really, really good player at a position, you know, but you certainly, you know, you can't have a situation. You can't, you can't just replace six seniors with six or you just have, you just regurgitate the same problem again. You know, so it's just building that thing up. And one of the things that's unique in the state of Mississippi is certainly the junior college system, you know, in that you can, you can get guys in here who have a little bit more experience, who have a little bit more, Immaturity, our country strong guys. And speaking of guys, I, I did forget one D tackle. I think a uh, guy's done a good job so far is Nathan Pickering, who is a true freshman, obviously from seminary, a highly recruited player. Um, you know, he's he's learning what college football is all about and taking his lumps. He's had some good snaps and had some bad snaps, but I'm just as excited about watching him out there tonight as anybody. Really kind of interesting there to hear Bob Shoup get into the roster management conversation. And hey, Dad, he didn't label it that way. But, you know, Mississippi State dealing with a year where they lose a bunch on the defensive line, and yet it's not a completely empty cabinet, pardon the cliche, but but they've still got some guys, and then he named a bunch of young guys that either play this year or kind of start working their way into some playing time. Kind Kind of a fascinating way to look at that. Yeah, you know, outside of quarterback, defensive tackle is the is the, the question mark on, on this roster right now. And uh, when you look at the way, and, and you know, not to throw a ton of uh, throw a bus over Dan Mullen or anything, but after the twenty seventeen recruiting class where they went really heavy on the JUCOs and they brought in Autry who redshirted, they brought in Dion Pope who didn't uh, end up making it to campus. Then you had Montez Sweat, Chauncey Rivers, who redshirted. But the next couple of years were a little lacking in the defensive line, and that's why that state had to go heavy this past recruiting class. Um, and so that's why they're, 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 a little, they're a little you know bottom-heavy, basically. The bottom part of the depth chart is a lot of redshirt and true freshmen. Uh, and they've got some, some experience, got, especially at end. They're fine there with, with Spencer, Jones, Rivers, and Fletcher Adams. But you have Autry, you have, you know, uh, Kendall Jones, who's a redshirt senior who hasn't done very much. Uh, you've got, um, uh, like you mentioned there, James Jackson moving back over. You know that, That's his third position change. He started on the defensive line. They moved him to offense. Now he's back on defense. Uh, I've never not, – not very often you see a guy make that many changes and ends up making a, a big impact. So, yeah, you know, and, and, but he hit on the JUCO thing, and, and that's something that 
that was that was brought up quite a bit on on media day for whatever reason. People talking about the the JUCO system and how it affects recruiting, and and that's why the you know, state obviously is very heavy in it in this current signing class, trying to put together. So yeah, you know, Shoop's got to. It, it's tough. It's tough when you're not Alabama to replace first round picks, and that's what state has to do this year, and that's the task that that uh, that Bob Shoop and that group have to uh, to accomplish. Bob Shoup a little unique in that he's back for a second consecutive year at defensive coordinator. It has been a bit of a revolving door. Todd Grantham, oh, what was the guy's name that you liked so much before that? Peter Sermon. Peter Sermon. That's your boy, right? You'll see him uh, in this this year. He, he coaches for Cal now. Uh, Manny Diaz with mm-hmm. a, uh, a couple of different uh, stops along the way. We'll hear what... Um, what Bob Shoup has to say about being a returning defensive coordinator. Borky, let, let's skip down and hear the uh, the shorter cut that he's got on Mississippi State's ability to try and create more turnovers this year. I hope so. I mean, it's been a point of emphasis, and um, I don't know that you can ever create enough. I, I always think turnovers are the great equalizer uh, to a, takeaways. We, we don't Takeaways are defense, turnovers are offense, so we call them takeaways, and we want to take the ball away. Um, you know, our mantras. Everything on everything that we give the players says HTB, hunt the ball. You know, we're really trying to hunt the ball. We've studied techniques uh, this offseason to do a better job stripping the football. We've done a good job, you know, trying to, you know, to, to you know, work on ball skills and things along those lines. And the reason I say it's a great equalizer is the takeaway game can turn a bad defense to good and a good one to great and a great one to become a championship one. And uh, I think... You know, that's an area for growth with our guys. We acknowledge that. We were, you know, fifth in the conference last year in takeaways in the middle of the country. And, uh, you know, I think, I think the offensive players, when you, when you visit with them, will tell us it's been a point of emphasis through these first few days of, of practice. They're icing their forearms and their wrists because we're, we're hammering at that ball pretty good and, and, and doing a pretty good job of getting after it. That's Bob Shoup, defensive coordinator at Mississippi State. We'll hear more about what he had to say regarding this Mississippi State defense when we come back with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. That's your college football fix driven by Ford. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Continuing on this Monday afternoon, we were hearing from Bob Shoup from Saturday when he met with the media following, well, I guess it was before Mississippi State's practice. They Is that right, Hayden? They practiced, had a scrimmage Saturday afternoon, Saturday night after the media day. Is that right? Yes, Saturday evening. Yeah, we 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 were not uh, available for the scrimmage. Why didn't you just go on in and watch? I'm pretty sure somebody would have escorted me out. I'm sort of noticeable, you know. Fair enough. Bob Shoup talking to the media. Second consecutive year that he's been the defensive coordinator at Mississippi State, and that's been a bit of a rarity. I'll give you the two perspectives. I think from the coaching perspective, I think each coach – at least I, I guess, would be the way I would put it. Is I look at each, each team is a different unit. It's a different identity. You know, yet, you, you know, if you talk about our scheme, the thing, you know, I never talk about scheme. I talk about style of play, and our style of play is non-negotiable. But each year, you know, what we try to do is we try to tailor our system, you know, to the talent that we have. You know, one year it might be a strength on the D line. One it might be linebacker in the secondary. You know, one year. You might be a really good blitz team. One year you might not be. You, you know, it's tailoring rather than recruiting players to fit into a scheme or a style. You, you tailor, you know, tailor your scheme to what your players are capable of doing. So this team will be certainly, although like you said, there's a, a comfort level in having the same coach for the first time, having the same verb, uh, you know, um, terminology and things along those lines. You know, this team will be 
no reason it won't be very successful, but it'll be a, a little bit different than last year's team. The strength may be in different positions. Um, so that's exciting. Each team has its own identity. Our style of play, the one thing that is non-negotiable is we'll always be relentless in our pursuit of the football. And, uh, you know, we always talk about relentless pursuit and never-ending pressure, being dominant, disruptive up front, and challenging all routes in the back end. And those are the things that we'll continue to do, just the strengths of the unit and the strengths of the group you know, might be a bit different than they were last year. So I think from the player perspective on that hand, I think there's a comfort level. You know, the safeties, I'm the first time the safeties have had the same position coach in five years. I'm the same coordinator, you know, for the first time since, you know, prior to, I think, Manny being here. You know, the linebackers still have had a different coach each year for the last five years. The D-line, you know, is transitioning to Deke. And uh, those guys have done an outstanding job buying into the, the culture that coaches created and, and uh, the culture that we have here at Mississippi State. You know, when when you think, hey, Dad, about continuity on, on a coaching staff, there's not, there's been, I mean, obviously Joe Moorhead's going into his second year, but you had a long run with Dan Mullen as the head coach. They were hearing the same voice from the top for a long time. Then you have the coaching change, and so Joe Moorhead is back, and you're hearing the same voice at the top, but it's been different with position groups and different with coordinators year after year after year. And finally, for the defense, it's a little bit different. You heard him say, Secondary guys have got the same coach for the second consecutive year after five straight years of having a defensive coordinator. That's got to matter some. Oh, it absolutely should, and that's why I think Bob Shoup was the the most important recruit for Mississippi State this past year. They had to keep him on staff. Uh, otherwise, I think it would. I think the number would have been eleven in, in twelve years, something like that. Going back to to two thousand and seven, you know, in 07, Ellis Johnson was defensive coordinator under Sly Croom, and then the next year was Charlie Harbison, and then Mullen came in, and Mullen went through I think seven different. I, I can't even keep up sometimes. It's like the drummer from Spinal Tap. Um, so yeah, the, <laughs> to have that, you know, the same. The same verbiage. This, you know, you go into practice not having. You're worried about, you know, getting better. You're not worried about learning a system. Obviously, I think that that's a huge advantage for Mississippi State. Now, you know, they do have some 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 changes there. Deke Adams, the new defensive line coach, Chris Marv, who everybody is just raving about up here in Starkville as a potential future star in the coaching ranks uh, as the linebackers coach. But you know, I think that's just part of the game with assistant coaches. If you have assistant coaches who aren't moving up and getting offers and and you know you probably don't have the right assistant coaches in my opinion especially at a program like mississippi state where there are always going to be you know bigger programs like alabama and, and you know michigan so on and so forth if they're not coming after your coaches i don't think you have the right coaches it's pretty i don't know if incredible is the right word james franklin had a really good coaching staff when he was at vanderbilt I, i'm not a big james franklin friend, uh, fan but he had herb hand uh, herb hand and Bob Shoup, both on the, that staff, and those were two guys whose names were out there all over the place. And yeah, they've moved around a little bit since then. But that's part of the reason that James Franklin was as successful as he was at Penn State. And now, obviously, you've got a guy that was an assistant under James Franklin and Penn, at Penn State as the head coach. Did Shoup go to Penn State for a little while? Shoup was at Penn State. He missed Moorhead, but yeah, he was at Penn State for a few years. So, uh, anyway, I just thought that was kind of an interesting tie or an interesting connection. Borky, let's jump down. We just heard uh, Bob Shoup talk about the secondary having the same guys. He went in-depth in talking about the secondary on this team. Like I always say, opportunity is the key to life. And, you know, someone's you know miss, missed opportunity is another person's opportunity. And last year, you know, certainly nobody wanted – you know, we, we returned Brian Cole, who was a starter through the first four games. He was injured, injured against Florida. 
And I put him in the, the category. One of those guys has got to step it up. N- not, not that he's not stepped up. I mean, he, he's a name that you may not be familiar with, but by the middle of the season, if he plays up to his capabilities, maybe on a lot of people's radars. Uh, he's very, very talented. Um, you know, he can cover uh, like a corner. He can blitz like a linebacker. He's tough. He's physical. Uh, he's got all the great assets of a defensive player, you know, for the nickel in our in our scheme. Uh, when he went down, then Capri Landers stepped up, and all you need to do is put on the Texas A&M game from last year to see that Capri's a really solid player. I call him, he's like a steady Eddie. He's never out of position. He does exactly what you ask him to do. He's got a, a quiet, uh, you know, quiet leadership style to him. You know, he does a great job. He's a steadying influence. He's the yin to my yang a little bit because sometimes I get on him pretty good, and he, I got, we got this coach. You know, he's, he's done a great job through this camp. And then obviously the, um, at the free safety position right now is C.J. Morgan. And so when Capri got hurt, you know, then C.J. stepped in, you know, for the Alabama, Arkansas miss in the bowl game. And C.J. got a lot of confidence. You know, last year at this time, C.J. was fighting off some people, you know, in the, on that second string, third string line. And in the middle of the season, we sat down and tried to, you know, when we had the injuries, figure out who to put in there. And, uh, you know, interestingly enough, we, you know, included Abram in the conversation. They were saying, CJ got this. I'll get him right. And, and uh, you know, CJ played really, really well, you know, against Ale- in those last four games. And I think that the confidence grew in Capri and the confidence grew in CJ where they aren't, although they may be first-time starters, you know, at the beginning of a year, they have experience in games and uh, in big games. And you can see that out there with them. Uh, the, the challenge is... You know, developing a little bit of depth behind those guys and and that's where there's competition and that's where you know a, a night like tonight in the stadium you know where the coaches aren't again out there providing instruction behind them will be good I mean you got a guy like Marcus Murphy Landon Gidry's been a standout during camp so far I'm really really pleased and impressed by him uh, London Craft uh, you know has played a lot Sean Preston you know not played a lot but London Craft's in the mix Sean Preston's in the mix and then I mentioned the two freshmen J.P. Purvis and Colin Duncan so I mean there's there's pretty good competition for the twos and threes at the safety position and nickel position. Uh, the other nickel then is uh, Fred Peters, who you talk about the junior college system. You know, is you know, he was able to come in in the spring and learn the system, and he's uh, using the baseball analogy. He's like a he, he's a utility guy. He can play second, third, or short. You know, he can put him out in left field if you have to. You know, he he could do it all. I mean, he I really kind of like his game, and uh, he takes hard coaching. He he loves football, and again, he's a, almost a 4.0 student. He embodies everything that's part of Coach Moorhead in our culture here. So you heard a lot of names there as Bob Shoup was talking about the secondary. Let's let you hear one last thing for Bob Shoup as we wrap this up. How much does he anticipate blitzing this fall? It's still probably a work in progress and still to be determined. Um, but that's what I said before. I mean, each team kind of has its own identity, and this this one's still you know forming, I guess would be the way to put it. And It'll be determined between now and, and the Lafayette game. You know, the focus is really on tonight's scrimmage and, and teaching fundamentals and techniques, but also, you know, our style of play, which, as I said, is in your face in every aspect. And um, I just believe that's how you play defense now. I think the days, you know, I guess the analogy that I use, a lot of people, defense coordinators, when they stand up, they say, this is how we adjust to this formation. This is how we adjust to that formation. Why would hear offensive coordinators talk? They say, well, this is how we I never heard him say this is how he adjusted that coverage. They say this is how we attack that coverage. So I said, well, why don't why aren't defense coordinators thinking like this? So that's how we look. This is how we attack this formation. This is how we attack this protection. And uh, so everything we're doing is always when we're in the staff room, trying to find a way to attack, trying to find a way to make the offensive coordinator, the offensive play caller, and the quarterback 
as incredibly uncomfortable as they can possibly be for those three hours on a Saturday. And so, you know, it's probably not going to change who the blitzers are and, and what blitzes we run, you know, may be different than they were a year ago. And certainly there may be, you know, so it won't be very specific. But again, I think that style of play will remain uh, very similar. So that was Bob Shoup. A lot there to unpack. Some interesting stuff. And uh, you heard, if you've been with us throughout the afternoon, you uh, you heard Hey Dad talk about kind of the uh, the blitzing as a part of what they're going to do and how that may look a little bit different than uh, what Mississippi State did a year ago. Got some- a Super Talk Mississippi yeah. media production.